fallout. You need to know what it is, how to detect it, and what to do to protect yourself against it. Everybody needs to know. Yes, this does mean you. Hello, we are the Bloobcast. I'm James. I'm Ewan. And I'm Rob. But the question is, why are we called Bloobcast? Yes! Yes. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very subtle. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Fallout, a post-nuclear role-playing game. Released in 1997 by Interplay Entertainment, Fallout is set in a post-apocalyptic future following nuclear war in the year 2077, as narrated by Hellboy himself, Ron Perlman. War. War never changes. I literally did not realise that was Ron Perlman's all now. Yeah, I was just thinking that was Ron Perlman. I had no idea he was in this game. (laughs) Damn it, Ewan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's Ron Perlman. He's the narrator. My bad. Fallout 2 as well, and Fallout New Vegas. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> he popped up in everything, so I'm completely unrelated. I've been watching the Superman Animated recently, and he voices their knockoff General Zod in that show. He actually does voice a character in this in Fallout 1 called Butch, and he does not sound anything like Ron Perlman, which is actually kind of amazing. Fair play to him as a voice actor. Hot damn, someone with guts. Done and done. You are a member of a group of survivors who take shelter within an underground vault. When the water purification system breaks down, you are sent out into the atomic wasteland by the Vault Overseer to search for a component called the Water Chip to save your vault. Little do you know that not only will you save the vault, but also all of humanity as we know it. I should probably, disclaimer, I really like this game. You should go ahead and continue and say how you got introduced to it. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Is this going to be the Ewan show? I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) Years ago, when I was a wee bairn, I want to say I saw a poster of Fallout Tactics, which was the third game in the series, kind of a spin-off game now, or it's considered now a spin-off game. I think I just saw some promotional stuff in a shop where there was a guy in power armor and there was a giant mutant and something like that. My first actual exposure to Fallout was Fallout 3, the Bethesda game after Bethesda purchased it, and that came out in 2008, and I enjoyed it. But then I was intrigued about what the heck was going on with Fallout 1 and 2, because they were these two games that nobody was really talking about, but this was Fallout 3, so it was weird. So I finally played Fallout 1 in 2009 or 2010, when my uncle gave me this really old, dodgy laptop that could just about play Fallout 1 and Morrowind on them. So I played those a lot, or I played Morrowind a lot, but I only played a little bit of Fallout because Fallout kind of terrified me because there were the rats in the cave at the start and I wasn't very good at fighting them because I didn't understand how the controls worked. (laughs) And then the scorpions later on. So the only thing I really knew about Fallout was the intro at the start with Ron Perlman narrating. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. And there's all like this weird sci-fi story going on and this kind of creepy music playing. And then a couple years later, Fallout New Vegas came out and that was like the big Fallout thing for me. I 
got really into Fallout New Vegas. Bethesda published, but it was some of the old guard from Black Isle Studios who'd worked on Fallout 2 came along and worked on New Vegas. So it got, it had a bit more of the original vibe. So I got really into that. And then it was only when I got a new laptop that I finally played Fallout 1 and 2 because I finally got them working. And then I finally got Fallout Tactics working as well. And it was like releasing a genie from a bottle. My brain just kind of fell in love with these games, like even more than with New Vegas to an extent. Fallout 1 and New Vegas are definitely battling in my brain over which one I'm a bigger fan for. I mean, look, I've made myself a Fallout vault suit. I'm a big (laughs) fan of this series. That's how I discovered Fallout. So, Rob, get in here. Tell us about how you discovered Fallout. Okay, this is an interesting one. It doesn't go quite as deep as you, and so I didn't really know anything about Fallout until Fallout 3 came out. I don't don't remember it coming out, but I think it came out 2008, I think. But sometime around 2009, I went to a friend's house and... And I'd already played Oblivion, so I owned that on my PS3, yeah. And so my first impression of Fallout 3 was, this is basically Oblivion, but with guns, which I think is a fair assessment for that game. Yeah. Remember New Vegas coming out as well, but I assumed that was expansion pack for Fallout 3. I didn't know it was like a dedicated game in its own right. It wasn't until I met Ewan, which is like nine or so years ago, and he started telling me about Fallout, that I began to learn more about the series. I particularly remember him sending me a clip of a character who was voiced by one of my all-time favourite actors slash voice actors, Tony J, who most of you you all know as Frollo from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Witchcraft! But, of course, I know him as Megabytes, the arch-villain from my all-time favourite TV series, Reboots. May have mentioned it one or two times on this podcast already. <laughs> My format, virus. To corrupt and conquer. And then, I think, in 2016 as well, Kadikras, who's, of course, a YouTuber we, all of us watch, at least all of us hosts watch. Yeah, he included in his 2016 series of videos on his favourite video games of all time. Another thing that drew me to four couple of years ago, Ewan wrote this amazing article on New Vegas. And I remember him sending it to me, and despite I've never having played the game, I read it, and I was like, this sounds amazing, I need to play this game. It wasn't easy to get it, play it. At least not for me, because I have a PS4, and the only way to play it on the PS4 is if you stream it through PlayStation Now. Streaming a game online, especially if you have an internet connection which waits a lot, yeah, doesn't really do it for me. And then last year, I bought Fallout, Fallout 2, New Vegas, and Tactics all together on Steam in order to prepare for inevitable Bluecast episodes on the various Fallout games. I played a bit of Fallout 1 to make sure my laptop could run it okay. And I had a blast of the short segment I played, like running through the caves, running away from rats, working out what the heck to do, how to get my gun and stuff like that. But it wasn't until this exact episode that I played that down, played the game in full. I love this game. It's a lot of fun. I'm glad I let Ewan start because, to be honest, Ewan's a massive, massive part of how I actually got introduced to the series, really. Because, like... For the Fallout franchise, I mean, to be honest, the first time I ever discovered the Fallout franchise was when I was probably about 10 years old. So I was, don't know why I vividly remember this, but I was in New York and there was a little game shop. So obviously you can't buy any like American video games for British consoles because they're not compatible with them for some reason. There's a whole thing between like different video games between different countries not being compatible with the consoles and stuff like that. But 
I saw this big ass power armor showcase in the middle of this gaming shop in America, and this is to promote Fallout 3. And I saw Fallout 3 everywhere. I think they did something right with the promotion of Fallout 3, I think, because it was literally everywhere at one point. I do remember seeing it next to like Halo. Uh, it was next to Halo 3. I love science fiction with like, you know, big metal men and like armored soldiers and stuff like that. So I saw that alongside Halo, and I thought, oh wow, what is this? I, I don't know what this is. And it wasn't until when I was about. I want to say like when I was in high school I saw someone play Fallout 3 on their console and I just had no idea what was going on I was just so confused by it like he blew up a character picked up their head and chucked it at a wall and I was like okay as typical oblivion physics and then many many years later I go to university meet Ewan and I think I was doing like a let's play thing at the time so I was doing let's plays and stuff back in the day and Ewan loved Fallout and he kept talking to, he basically following what Ewan was saying like you know how he liked to talk about Fallout he was talking to me about Fallout almost all the time and and basically, the first ever recording experience I had with Ewan was trying to record a Let's Play of Fallout 1. And we did record the gameplay fine, and the sound from the gameplay fine, but we muted ourselves. I... I... <laughs> <laughs> so... So... <laughs> Yeah, poor Ewan. Uh, that was so bad. There was some lovely footage of the game. <laughs> just us running around. Fact, actually, no, no, wait. I take that back. I think we muted the game as well. So it was literally just this silent wastelander adventure. Oh, God. I know. Yeah. And it was really sad because Ewan got so into the commentary and he was saying all sorts about it. Saying like, oh, this is this. This is the lore behind this and everything like that. And we did it for about an hour. No, I think it was more than an hour. Yeah, we, yeah. we did it for an hour. It wasn't until the next day I messaged Ewan saying, uh, Ewan, about that let's play we did. <laughs> so, um, it was a good, oh, good, 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 good run we did, right? We got quite far in the game, right? Mm. But we can't hear ourselves. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But also, that was good, that, because only recently... Well, I mean, I, I did play Fallout 1 on and off, and I actually got quite far in the game by myself. I actually got up to the Brotherhood of Steel without using a walkthrough. But I also remembered what you and Tommy when he first played it with me, so I could actually remember how to play the game. So ever since then, I've kind of... I have used walkthroughs since then. But because of that experience, I kind of knew what to do. It got me... It helped me find, find my feet when playing this game. So I think that sort of, in a nutshell, is how I discovered Fallout little bit drawn out but I had to tell that story about that just incident between me and you and oh, just... of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah notorious chapter oh dear speaking of men in power armor that's obviously a big part of this game because it's on the cover the guy in the power armor Ooh. my favorite detail mm. it's kind of an inversion I know Halo hadn't come out at this point but you think that the guy in power armor is going to be the hero of the game and i guess he is because later on you do get your own suit of power armor but the first people you see wearing it are in this newsreel at the very start of the game and it's this newsreel about it's like america we need to like back our brave boys in the annexation of canada so america before the nuclear war had apparently annexed canada and there's just this newsreel footage of these two soldiers in this big power armor they look a bit like stormtroopers from Star Wars. And then they just execute this guy on the street. And then the next clip is buy war bonds. Um, so basically the world was going to it's hell. It's very Starship Troopers. Yeah. Yeah, Starship Troopers, definitely. They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. 
Service guarantees citizenship. Even though the first intro cutscene is kind of eerie, but in a way I feel like it's a perfect introduction to the dark humour of Fallout. Where like there's just this yeah. TV oh, screen, yes. jolly TV screen like with all this old fashioned music and like all these propaganda advertisements saying like, oh come join us today for your country and all that. And it, the shot moves towards like it's a post-apocalyptic environment. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, everything's been blown up. Yeah. Totally. Like the world that we saw. Yeah. The game setting is really bleak. Yes. But I love that it's really tongue-in-cheek about it. So it's got a sense of humour about it. And it's like, even all the gory violence is like ridiculously over the top. And yeah. that's what makes it so awesome. The gory violence, it's definitely a highlight of the series. <laughs> but especially of yeah, the first especially... game. Because the animations yeah. are brutal. <laughs> and you can change the settings so if you are boring you can have them off and then you can have different levels of violence of course the only way to play the game is to turn it up to the maximum I don't know why you turn it off it's so I, I know why they turned it off or why they gave the option because when Fallout was first being developed it was being developed with the GURPS system which is the generic universal role-playing system because basically tim kane one of the creators of fallout was a big tabletop role-playing nerd it shows and yes and (laughs) and gurps was this system that allowed you to come up with generic universal you know so you could do anything could do like a sci-fi story or a a fantasy story or or in this case a post-apocalyptic story fun fact about that um, system someone made a full chip down role-playing game using that system oh wow yeah there you go. And so one bit of evidence of this was that the game was originally called Vault 13, a GURPS post-nuclear adventure. But the creator of GURPS, uh, Steve Jackson, objected to the violence in Fallout. He was not a fan of it at all. He pulled the copyright. They weren't allowed to use the GURPS system after that. So they had to come up with their own system called the Special System, which is strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, and luck. Which I think is a great mm. characteristic system anyway. So they came up with their own good system. But yeah, it was originally going to be this whole role-playing game computerization of this tabletop game. But then, mm. yeah, because the creator objected to the violence. So, oh well. <laughs> it's elaborate. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I'm coming to this from, as someone who has experience not just playing but running tabletop roles. And normally whenever I was running the game... And one of the players would attack an, a, like an NPC. I would always go into detail about what the attack did. Rather than saying, oh yeah, you've hit them and done this. I'd always say something like, oh yeah, you have shot their arm. Their arm is bleeding and screaming. And, yeah. Or if they died, I'll just explain yeah, how then, their head got blown off. You do get that with Fallout. Some of the deaths are just... Sometimes they'll just fall to the ground bleeding and there's nothing much to them. And then others are just horrific. When you use the flamethrower and they like run around screaming and they're all covered in fire. We should say though, it, it does have a sense of humor it is quite cartoony violence yeah but it is exactly. you know the most horrible one is the plasma rifle death where the character does just melt oh. <laughs> one of the things is that like before that is that it just does it's pulp it's pulpy sci-fi it's in the same category as judge dread and warhammer 40k where it's allowed to go to the extreme and anything kind of really goes a little bit like, yes, these ridiculous deaths and laser guns and people getting sliced in half by a laser rifle and all this <laughs> ridiculous stuff and giant mutants, zombies, aliens and all this stuff. 
It can all mm. exist in Fallout, and that's one of the things I love about it. It's, it's something, you know, when did Fallout actually come out? 1997. Yeah, during the 90s, there was a lot of pulpy stuff like that coming out, if I remember correctly. So it's interesting, like, you don't see a lot of that nowadays, but the Fallout is a good example of one of those many universes where, yes, you can have this ridiculous comedic stuff happening in the background, and it's all cheesy and over the top. But on the other hand, you can have all this serious gore and aliens and mm. all sorts it's just fun it's so much fun i love pulpy stuff yeah. like this 100 percent. it's kind of yeah. evidenced by oh. the fact that a lot of the voice actors are all from stargate or star trek mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah tony j was in star trek i think it's in the next there's a next generation i've not seen much of tng so i've not seen that episode but i know he's in it <laughs> but he is perfect as the lieutenant he's like felix elder voicing these billionaires characters what a splendid sense of humor Pity I don't have one. You can completely miss him, depending on how you play the game. You can miss him, and you only share dialogue, get yourself captured by the music, and he, he basically interrogates you, and if you tell him where your vault is, you get this horrific ending, dropped into vats of acid, oh God. and then next thing you know, yeah, your vault's yeah. getting invaded, and just everything goes to shit. <laughs> And as you mentioned the back cutscene, because the cutscenes in this game, for its time, I think alongside Oddworld are like some of the best. They're brilliant. Even today, they're just amazing to watch the cutscenes in this game. They're really well directed, to be fair. They hit the right beats. They're a good combination of creepy, comedic, they're detailed. And it also has that old school CGI feel where it's, even though it's they're making do with what they have, it actually works in their favour and it makes it more creepy and sort of atmospheric. Yeah, that's why the mainframe shows worked for me so well, because 100%. they have that in spades. I like how the story, it starts out relatively small scale. You're not saving the world, you're just looking for a part for your vault's water pump, so you'll die of dehydration. Mm. And your character is largely insignificant to the world around you. And this is accentuated by the fact that your character blends in with the world around Like Sometimes I found it hard to see where I was, because my character was so blended in so well with the world around them. You're not really a protagonist, you're just part of this world, which I think is something that Ewan brought up in his blog post about Fallout. There is an element of the Western that protagonist is kind of the man with no name from the Clint Eastwood Westerns. It's just someone who moseys into town and either solves the problem or causes the problem (laughs) and then leaves and disappears into mythology. And there's always the sense of legend. And you really get that with Fallout 2 when they talk about the original protagonist in Fallout 1. It's like, oh yeah, it was this guy, he just turned up and then he just left, you know. I got that vibe. No one ever saw him again. <laughs> got that vibe from Jump Town, mm. for sure. That's a good point about the either solves the problem or causes the problem, because that is exactly what you do, because you have the choice to play the game pretty much exactly how you want. Like, in Junk Town, you can side with the big evil mob boss. Nobody ever double-crosses Gizmo and lives to talk about it. Or you can help to take him down. And also, you can completely avoid combat in certain situations. Like, I've solved the big two final boss encounters without using combat. I basically just disguised myself and did what I needed to do. Disguising yourself as the villains is one of my favourite details because they do have unique dialogue for that. You know, so when you're sneaking past the guards, like the guards go, okay, yeah, you can go through. But if you say the wrong thing, they'll go, wait a minute, you're not that guy. (laughs) I asked a question about the vats and they're like, Wait a minute, you're an imposter! I mean, I failed to encounter that because I just didn't know where the robes were. I didn't even know you needed robes, so I just ended up blowing up the whole military base. So I did the cathedral first, so I killed the cathedral and stole his robes. 
Oh, I didn't know you could do that. I mean, I just walked in just thinking like, oh, okay, let's talk about this. And they all started shooting me, so I shot back. And then the next thing I knew, they're all dead. One of the cool things, which I don't think really... I guess some people talk about it with Fallout, but definitely you've just mentioned the cathedral. There's a really kind of neo-Gothic vibe to Fallout in general. Like, it goes into really creepy kind of horror-ish elements like the fact the main villains of the game are just this big cult and they're in this Mm. big cathedral and it's like dracula's castle almost where you descend deeper and deeper into the depths of this crypt and then you finally meet this monstrous creature it is just that yeah it's so deformed yeah oh god it's so creepy but it's other stuff like they talk about there's the monster the death claw which is this giant reptilian monster, but you have some characters saying, ah, oh, it's a myth. It's like a vampire. No, just another stupid rumor. Some people say it's a huge fanged monster, and others say it's a vampire. And people talk about it as this kind of mythological, legendary creature, but you can find it, and you find its nest later on as well. It's as Bob um, says, brother, that's a whole new level of creepy. <laughs> what does it say exactly? Oh, Harold? Har- sorry, not Bob. Bob Bob's has the tree on his head, sorry. Uh, Harold, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> his name's Herbert. I talk to him when I get lonely. <laughs> Just kidding. His name's Bob. <laughs> Let's talk about Harold. Because Harold's my favourite character. Got a confused with his own tree. Uh, <laughs> Harold is this... I think Harold, if you play the game as they kind of expect you to play it, where you go from Shady Sands, the little village, to Junktown, and then you kind of go to the hub. Because, you know, just from what people say to you, Harold is the first mutant you're most likely to encounter, apart from, like, giant scorpions. <laughs> you know, if I could clear the gunk out of there, you uh, just might find a tear in old Harold. But Harold is like an actual human mutant. He's like really gross. He's got like this really greenish, gross skin. He's like like a beggar. Yeah. He's discriminated against because he's a weird looking old mutant and nobody knows what to do with him, I guess. (laughs) Rest of the hubbers been picking on me like a bad booger since I came back to town. But he's wonderful. I love his voice, his voice acting. Charlie Adler voices Harold. And yeah, just a wonderful character. And he tells you about the death Oh, a lot of the voice actors for Fallout are really, they've had big voice acting careers. Like, did you know, James, Johnny Bravo is in this game. Wait, what? Where? Where? where, When does he come up? Okay, did you ever meet the character Loxley? What's their role? Loxley is the leader of the Thieves Guild, and he's really difficult to find, but you can find him. Uh, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) in the hub which is like the main merchant town there's like a very obscure basement that's really difficult to notice you basically have to know it's there but if you go down it and go through like some booby trapped passages there's an entire thieves guild in there oh <laughs> with a voiced character wow um but he's that. basically robin hood because he's called loxley and he has a british oh, accent oh perfect quite pleased to make your acquaintance actually for now Let's get the other bit of politeness taken care of, shall we? What the bloody, bloody, bloody hell are you doing here? I mean, that's another thing, is that there's a lot of stuff, like little hidden jokes and Easter eggs and stuff in this game that you can come across. Like, you ran across the TARDIS. Yeah, I ran into the TARDIS. (laughs) I didn't even mean to. I I knew there was a TARDIS in the game, because I think I looked it up on the internet at one point. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't actually expect to bump into it in my playthrough. And literally, I just got a random encounter thinking, ah, oh, it's probably more rad scorpions. Next thing I knew, there was a police box there. And I'm just like, 
What? <laughs> I literally, I just smashed the print screen key so hard. I was just like, I need to immortalize this. I bumped into the TARDIS and it pulled out. <laughs> did it vanish in front of you? I can't yeah. remember if it vanishes yeah. or not. It yeah, does. It so Amazing you, what happens is you click on it. You, you actually, if you press the search thing on it, it actually makes a reference to the fact that it's like from the 1960s, I think, or 1970s. And then you walk up to it, and then you know you can use the use icon in the toolbar. Press use on it, it starts going... And it's like you can see the little thing spinning on top of it, and it disappears. And it leaves an item which you can pick up. Oh, wow. To this day, I have no idea what that item does, but I've got it. <laughs> it's like a little oh, electronic amazing. transmitter I, or something. I don't know what it does. I ran into Godzilla's footprint, but that's the most exciting thing I ran across in my most recent... What about the UFO? Through. Did you not come across that? I didn't come across the UFO, no. Oh, I came across the no. UFO. Yeah. Did you get the, the alien laser pistol? Yeah, yeah I used it in the final boss. It's so useful. <laughs> it's great. It's so overpowered. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, well, one thing that I noticed was it's busted in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Each area you visit has a it's um, distinct vibe and feel like certain areas are incredibly creepy for various reasons like you've got necropolis which is incredibly decayed and full of ghouls but then the cathedral where the master resides is like this like, feel, like you said it's like a place of a cold but on the other hand you've got junk town which is like this ye old west town kind of thing and there's also like the hub which is kind of like, like the remains of a metropolis and stuff so, so yeah there's a lot then, of, each area has its own distinct feel then you have both the vault you're from and the brotherhood of steel which feel like star trek like everyone's in these uniforms and it's all like very futuristic mm. although the fallout uniforms actually remind me of the thunderverse outfits they are very similar yeah i'm maintaining that like basically the brotherhood steel is like star command but like cult like the guy <laughs> at the front literally looks like buzz lightyear you go inside yeah. it's just they're all space marines and stuff like that with weapons and stuff like there's a little training room it looks exactly like the. i don't know if you guys saw the buzz lightyear in star command movie like the original cartoon movie but there's like a combat room that mm. they're in at one point there's a very similar looking combat room in the brotherhood of steel and we're just like why is star command here in fallout okay this is weird you people try that kind of hot dogging in the field and you're space dust <laughs> 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 I, I, infinity. Really like, I really like the moral ambiguity of the brotherhood of steel so the brotherhood of steel are like this weird weird like they're all they're all the ones in the famous power armor but yeah when you first meet them buzz lightyear at the door as james said sends you off to this place to it go sends pick you to up die this, yeah yeah there's like a technological thing they need you to go pick up and then you go to this place and it's the most irradiated place in the entire part of the game and it will kill you if you don't have the supplies to survive it like the special um, it's, drugs it's literally called the yeah. glow right away in red x which you can only buy in the hub it's really like, expensive as well yeah because you buy from like illegal drug dealers basically in the hub it's ridiculous <laughs> the guy at the front is like one of my favorite characters in fallout because he's this overpowered guy with all this battle armor but he's kind of a child because he's just like hello welcome to the brotherhood of steel how can i help you today and, he, and if you hurt his feelings <laughs> he will let you know he literally goes are you making fun of me and you have to come back to him if you want to keep talking to him you have to say sorry he's just like no what do you want he's like i'm sorry i made fun he's like oh whatever <laughs> it's just like this big ass baby the expert 
expressions of the characters are one of the best parts of this game. Are you talking about the stop motion faces? Yeah, they did use claymation. They made these clay models of certain characters' faces. It was like a whole thing. They needed to use the Pharaoh space arm, which would scan the 3D model into the computer. And then they would use the light wave modeling software to fix up the geometry of the face. And then they'd have people animate it. So they'd come up with all these expressions. They were originally going to have 40 to 50 of these talking characters, but it took eight weeks to do one head at a time. So they quickly gave up on that idea. So we only have very specific yeah, characters. I, I did notice have... that not every character had one because there's like certain important characters that don't have them. Like, especially like if you meet the who join you in your journey, like Ian, like you don't get to see his face. I would love to have a talking head yeah. Ian. That would be perfect. I don't know why they'd miss that out. Oh, yeah, Ian, they, they the did um, was... perfect human shield. Yeah, yes. Yeah, exactly. So another unique thing about Fallout, because Fallout is a turn-based combat game, so you, you take turns shooting and fighting and whatnot. But the one interesting detail with Fallout is that you can't control your companions that you get along the way. So there's a lot of friendly fire if you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> Ian be trying to shoot Scorpion or something or a gang member and I'd stand in front of Ian for some reason and Ian would be like I'm going to shoot him anyway and I'm like for fuck's sake Ian you just could have killed me yeah no, exactly I should take this moment to note actually I called my character Woolworths which is quite a valuable part of the storytelling to be honest if you're going to name your characters in both Fallout 1 and 2 I'm going to talk about Fallout 2 and compare it to the first game in a bit but in Fallout 1 and 2 you want to name your character the most stupid thing possible I strongly recommend this because it is absolutely um, the funniest thing you'll ever experience. I went to the Raiders. For, I don't know why, I've never encountered this before, because I didn't encounter this when I played this with Ewan. But I went to these Raiders to save a character called Tandy, who's been kidnapped by the Raiders and held as ransom. And I came up to the Raiders, and they all started running away from me, going, it's the ghost of Woolworths! <laughs> and then literally came up to the come up to the bloody head of the Raiders, and he's just like, stay away from me! You remind me of my dead father, the ghost of Woolworths! And I'm just like, what? <laughs> I did a couple of places Playthroughs because I screwed myself out of various dialogue options by only having five intelligence because I built my character around my shooting. Then I realised that was a bad idea, so I started again. But your first proper character I had, so I actually did three playthroughs. One playthrough where I died without saving, I named my character Max Power, <laughs> which I got from Homer changed his name to Max Power. Yeah, Hedrye, yes, exactly. Homer said, uh, Max Power. Oh, hey, great name. Yeah, isn't it? I got it off a hairdryer. Uh, but he died. And then I think we were talking in the group chat about something. Just mentioned the name Bob Schnitzel. And I'm oh, like, yeah, I okay, I'll name Schnitzel. my Bob Schnitzel. And then my next character, I was like, I'm going to name him Jim Schnitzel because I couldn't think of another name. Jim Schnitzel. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so absolutely name your character something completely stupid. The most stupid thing you can think of. Please do it. Speaking of stupid, if you set your character's intelligence to one and get some <laughs> unique dialogue in your own right, uh, <laughs> basically they're just completely incomprehensible and they just confuse everyone they speak to hi i heard there was a traveler in town but i was kind of skeptical until i saw you my name's tandy what's yours jill sandwich uh I have to stand over here now. One fun detail with the unintelligent character, there's a dumb beggar guy that you can meet in the hub who is completely incomprehensible when you speak to him when you're intelligent. But when you're stupid, you exchange an incredibly intelligent conversation with each other. 
God. And, and it's like, I can tell you exactly where the monster is, you know. <laughs> and when you meet a master with low intelligence, you get unique dialogue options of him. He's just like... I doubt even the FEV will help you. Why am I talking? It's unlikely you even understand. Yeah. yeah. Fallout 2, if you play with, like, an intelligence above five, the game itself is like a dark, satirical horror game with pulp elements, and it doesn't take itself too seriously. If you have a low intelligence, the game is just straight up a comedy. It's <laughs> it's just so stupid that it's unbelievable. Like, it's so brilliant that they've actually made a whole route where you can play this bumbling buffoon growing across the wasteland Going up to NPCs, going. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, again, that is very much like tabletop role-playing games because your character is how you can choose to play your character how like however you want. Like I've had like a range of characters. I've played. I think the first character I played was like this really cool ranger called Alric, and then on the other hand, I played this really stupid halfling thief called Alton Towers, oh. who was named because the suggested name for halfling in the rule book was. Alton, so I was like, I'm going to name my character Alton Towers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the theme park. I want to say with the super mutant Harry, Harry has a unique voice and everything, so he's like the first super mutant you meet. And again, if you have a really unintelligent character, apparently you do just grunt at each other. Super mutants basically are like big orcs. They're like the Incredible Hulk, but the idea is that most of them aren't very intelligent, except for a few. I like how he's Harry is. Like, he's like a big teddy bear really, though. Let's be honest. He is. He's very sweet. Oh, if you, and if, if you're, you speak to him, right? Uh, yeah. I, I think I've read if you're a female character, you can flirt with him. Yeah. You go up to him, he goes like, uh, "Hello, pretty lady. <laughs> you look real nice." Hang on a minute. You're a human, and he's like, and if you're like the woman, you go like, "No, please let me go." He goes, "Oh, go before I get in trouble." <laughs> he actually lets you go. He's he's just like he's very he is very sweet. I always heart. feel bad when I murder him. <laughs> <laughs> I accidentally murdered yeah, you, you him. <laughs> that is one question. You do have to murder him because Set, he wants you to murder all the super mutants in yeah. the watershed. Yeah. Well, that's another detail which you can totally miss playing. Like, you can just walk right past Set. So, like, you don't, you don't have to meet him. But, yeah, like, all of the ghouls in Necropolis, they're a really creepy faction. The idea is that they kind of look like zombies because the idea is that they're all humans that got a little too irradiated is the idea. So they all look like zombies. But you then discover you can talk to them and they are for the most part they are still fairly normal people it's just they look like zombies which is a great little inversion it's not just the usual like oh then you run into zombies mm. but yeah Seth is like this really like, scary yeah. guy there'd better be a killer reason for standing in my shadow does next on the menu ring a bell for you Normie. The first call you run across, he's the one who tells you where to get the water chip you need, which is, of course, your first main objective. You get two choices of it there. You can either take the water chip right away, and then you'll leave all the ghouls to die, or you can fix their water source, and then you let them live, basically. Spoilers, they die anyway. No, they don't. Is no, I had the ending where they survived. So Wait, no. oh, yeah, right. so did I. Well, I thought the mutants murder all the ghouls you talk to anyway. If you kill all the super mutants and if you get there before a certain time, because you are actually timed in this game, mm. but if you complete uh, the game ahead of time, you can actually save Necropolis before oh, the super mutants wipe them all out. Oh, yeah. I killed all the ghouls. <laughs> Oops. Oh. Oh, well. It's fine. Now, the ones you can't save are the poor followers of the apocalypse, who I always feel bad for. 
Should we um, feel bad for like, them? What's wrong with the followers? Well, I spoke to a follower in, I think it's the hub or whatever. Like, as soon as you say, like, I think it's bone well to meet the followers. I think you're thinking of the children of the cathedral. I'm getting it confused. So, are the followers of the apocalypse the ones that actually heal you and stuff like that? Yeah, they're the good. Okay, I beg your pardon. I'm getting it confused. The children of the cathedral are the ones I'm referring to, which I don't have much sympathy for because yeah. they want to mutate the wasteland. We can say that the main mutants' evil scheme is to turn everyone else into mutants. I don't think that's like a big spoiler. Mm. That's like what it's they're kind doing. of written on the tin, isn't it? You mentioned this game has a time limit. That's tied into a point I want to bring up, which is this game does not hold your hand, which is great. You need to figure out everything by yourself by exploring the wasteland and talking to everyone. This wasteland is largely empty and there's like a few civilizations dotted around, but you need to find where they are on the map so you know where to get them. And to add to this, you have to complete your objective in like a time limit. You start off with having like 150 days to fix the water pump. The only other game I can think of that has this kind of time limit is Majora's Mask, the Zelda game, where infamously you've got to beat the game within a certain time or why the moon's going to crush the planet and kill everyone. You can't time travel in this, though, sadly. You can't use the TARDIS. No. <laughs> but I think that's a good segue into a comparison between Fallout 1 and 2. I want to briefly bring this up because I love Fallout 1 so much that I actually binge through it. Like Resident Evil 1 and 2, for instance, I love those games, but I didn't feel as inclined to literally complete it with Fallout. I started playing it, I was like, I'm going to play this to the end, I'm loving this too much. And I binged through it and finished it in, I want to say, seven days? And then I started playing Fallout 2, and I've been playing Fallout 2. Now I'm like level 12 on Fallout 2. And I think it's interesting, because you mentioned a time limit, because in Fallout 1, the main drive of the game is to level up to accomplish the goals in the game, as it were. The reason why you want to level up is so you can achieve the goals of defeating the mutants, getting the war chip, and all that other stuff. In Fallout 2, that's less the case. It's more of a game for people that want more Fallout. It's an open-ended game where you can level up as much as you want, you can grind as much as you want. It's bigger... And even when you finish the game, like the main quest, you can continue playing. I think Fallout is less of an open-ended game in the sense that there is a beginning and end. And I like that. I think that's nice and self-contained. It keeps it short and sweet. It's simpler and special. I think Kadigaris actually said something about this, saying sometimes less is more. And I personally do prefer the first Fallout in that regard. I do like Fallout 2, don't get me wrong. I love Fallout 2, but I love Fallout 1 better. In comparison to a lot of other RPGs that are like always open-ended and endless gaming experiences, it's nice to have a little role-playing game that will end there is a guaranteed end to this yeah. it's not yeah. yeah you can end it so quickly as mm. well it's great like i'm sure this is like yeah, a speed you can end the game in like half hour it's very easy to finish mm. i've not played any other fallout games properly but what i have played is a game by obsidian called the outer worlds which is kind of like a spiritual successor to these original fallout games or maybe more new vegas but playing Fallout, i could see a lot of similarity you could see kind of where a lot of things in the outer worlds came from because that game is quite short in terms of like these open world custom RPGs they take months upon months to finish the outer worlds I did practically everything in like a week and most of the game is side quests you're not under a time limit but I can see the way that the game ends and it kind of tells you what happened to all the, like, the planets you visited and all the um, characters you met when I played Fallout yeah. it did remind me of that because Fallout ends very similarly mm. telling you what happened to all the cities you visited and of course what happens to you at the end which I'm not going to spoil mm. I am glad that Fallout's got some spiritual successes because Fallout itself was a spiritual successor of Wasteland which was made in 1987 yeah, a very yeah. old game but 
that's yeah that's an old classic kind of similar because it's kind of role-playing game but it's a lot more unforgiving similar vibe it's a post-apocalyptic story but it is different enough in that one you play desert rangers crossing the wasteland fighting a robot army in that this one's a bit more low-key it's a bit more as you said rob at the start like you're not really the hero you can become the hero but it's more just you're just some schlub who just happened to get kicked out of the vault one day. I think they kind of expected you to get killed, but you survived somehow. Again, that is what role-playing game campaigns are. Your character starts on a level playing field as everyone else, just part of the world. And then as you play through the games, you level up and people start knowing who you are. The time limit is like that as well, because with role-playing games, I've had experience with this both as a player and a games master, but the games master will have a plan for where they're going, or like a pre-written scenario. But the players will be like, no, I want to go over here and do this, and they'll go like elsewhere and like, do some other like weird side quest thing but while they do what they're supposed to be doing gets completely ruined like they won't save a town and then when they come back to that town it's all ravaged because they weren't there to save it or at least like if the dm plays to their advantage decides to give the players consequences for their actions very briefly i want to talk about dog meat so dog oh, meat's yeah. a little dog that you can find and if you wear a leather jacket he'll think that you're his former master who was mad max <laughs> 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 and Dogmeat will come with you. That's really sweet. No, Dogmeat actually got his name from A Boy and His Dog, which is another post-apocalyptic story. Literally, A Boy and His Dog. But the dog in that's called Dogmeat, so it is a little nod to that. But he is the dog from Mad Max, because they even mentioned that the former owner uh, had, like, a funny accent and everything. It's funny, because when I first watched Mad Max, I saw Mad Max 1, but my version of it is the dubbed American version, where they dubbed them all with American accents. They couldn't understand Australian. <laughs> Fallout in general is big, nerdy, sort of celebration of pop culture in general. I mean, we've already mentioned Mad Max and Doctor Who in one conversation relating to this particular video game. There's also straight up a Star Wars reference as well, like later on as well. Outside the military base, yeah. you can use a radio and you have the option to disarm the solo conversation. Go, yeah, everything's totally normal. How are you? What happened? Uh, I had a slight weapons malfunction. But uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, exactly. So you can quote yeah. Han Solo. Yeah. As is Godzilla references, uh, Ewan pointed out. Aliens show up. This game is just overloaded. It shows so much that these guys that made this game are like the biggest nerds. I love it so it much. They really were. I love it. It's really so were. wholesome. So, there's a drug you can take that makes you smarter called Mentat. Oh, yeah. And if you've watched the newest Dune, you will know that there's these computer people called Mentats, where the idea is that they have all of the world's intelligence in their brains so there's a little dune reference as well they are just huge nerds like really <laughs> so cool but in the end i think i do love fallout's theme one thing i wanted to bring up very quickly so you're a vault dweller you've grown up your whole life in the vault i always think about the fact that the vault was probably a very exclusive thing i always imagine that you're the grandchild of a very rich corporate sleazeball or something i always do think there was probably a price tag on being able to survive the apocalypse because as we discover in Fallout 2 the American government they're pretty bad they're pretty evil in the Fallout universe mm. I mean they did blow up the world so there's that <laughs> um, so there's definitely something kind of going on with the vaults and you discover that the super mutants are a result of military experimentation to create super soldiers good bit of satire um, really yeah. this came out the same year as the film Starship Troopers which started off as a completely different film then ended up because it was a, had a similar premise to the book 
ends up being an adaptation of the book but the director Paul Verhoeven read the book and hated how right wing it was so decided to make it complete satire of fascism yeah like you've got Neil Patrick Harris turns up in like an SS uniform at the end (laughs) and the the film's like here's the hero everyone (laughs) (laughs) he's in there a scene at the beginning of that film like and that's how democracy died and it's like uh, yeah this is being taught in schools it's Michael Ironside (laughs) literally saying let's sum up this year we explored the failure of democracy, how the social scientists brought our world to the brink of chaos. We talked about the veterans, how they took control and imposed the stability that has lasted for generations since. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can imagine a very similar thing happened in the Fallout alternate. That's another thing. The Starship Troopers had those sort of like weird commercials saying like, join your country today and fight this horrible war for your country. It's very Fallout in that yeah. sense, because the Fallout has the same thing but, right at the beginning. There was obviously something in the air at them where people thought to themselves, you know what, we need like satire and power armor. Those two go oh, really well together. It's so such a cool design, the power of it's so memorable yeah. as well. Like it's like yeah. the I was, mascot. I was so happy when I when I managed to get it. So I went to the Brotherhood mutant. Why am I talking about X Men? The Brotherhood of Steel. <laughs> they, had, they were lying around that was broken, and I fixed it for them. And then I mm. got they're like, okay, you can wear it now. And I was like, yeah. And then I got it upgraded, and then never used it because I stealth my way through the last few bits of the game. Oh my god, oh, amazing. When, when I <laughs> <laughs> when I used it myself, it's just so ridiculous. You feel like a god basically because every time the mutants try to shoot you the bullets bounce off you and also I think your agility is intensified as well so you keep either dodging the bullets or getting hit by the bullets and taking no damage and eventually they run out of bullets yeah. after shooting these big chain guns and they start running away from you as you just repeatedly shoot them to death it's just like the most ridiculous yeah. thing I always felt bad using it um, well, <laughs> you do get the odds critical hit with them sometimes they'll hit you with a laser gun yes Power armor or not, you are melting to death. Laser weapons and energy weapons are uh, quite dangerous against people with power armor. That's the kryptonite against power armor, that is. I think flamethrowers might be dangerous against, you know, because they, they cook you in your armor, but I can't remember if they, they might not have much of an effect. They do hurt you a little bit, or at least from when I played, but I think they needed that balance because if you are unkillable in the power armor, there's no challenge. You can't need, still need to have some challenge in the game, otherwise, what was the point? The master, who's the final boss of the game, like if you do take him on in a fight, as you mentioned, Rob, you can sneak past, or there are other ways to beat him, but if you do take him on in a fight, it is a really difficult fight, even if you do have the upgraded power armor and everything. But yeah, I think we're going to avoid two many spoilers with the master i think the only thing i wanted to mention about him is that he is just a giant disgusting blob man oh he's the most scariest Um, thing i've ever seen yeah he's terrifying i think it's kind of implied there's like all of this flesh on all of the computers and everything and i'm pretty sure it's implying that his whole body covers the entire facility it's in every wire you know no think about it he's kind of like Cassandra from doctor who yeah yeah all she is is like flesh Moisturize me, moisturize me. Although Cassandra's not nearly as horrific. No, but it's like flesh mixed with robot stuff as well. Like he's wired into the computers. This will be the age of mutants. Mutants. But also, I think the really, he is like the blob in that he did absorb people and on his way to becoming the size he is. His voice goes from being male to female sometimes. Most will be offered a chance to become a mutant. Those who deny this opportunity will be sterilized and let go. 
Those that resist will be executed. It's implied yeah. that he like ate. Oh, bodies of the Zorbaloff as well. Oh, of yeah. ah. <laughs> Going back to you and talking about the stop motion animations, once again, this worked in this game's favour because I've made stop motion animations before. I'm just going to say off. Stop motion animation is the most frightening thing ever made. And if used for frightening purposes in sense of horror and stuff like that, it literally is the most nightmarish fuel thing you can ever make. The master, at some point, they must have like used some sort of stop motion test or something like that, or made some models out of it and then animated it into CGI. And it shows the clunky animation makes him that much more scary. There's that sort of weird clunkiness that you can only get from stop motion, where it's a bit uncanny valley, a bit gritty and a bit can't describe it but basically something about stop motion animation is creepy and you can sense that with the master's animation it feels like a creepy stop motion animation to me oh totally definitely yeah. the way his mouth moves is like ah. he also has a little ice stalk that goes up and down depending on whether or not you annoy him rob <laughs> rob have you ever seen that gravity yep. falls episode where like there's an episode where like maybe yes, he's afraid was... of Clay. I was literally thinking of that. I was so, going to bring it up. So I'm not the only one that's yes, mad in saying um, it. There is a literal cartoon episode that explains it. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's stop motion animators. There's like because Nick um, Stan wants to convince Mabel. Oh, it's just plastic, and he's and he's, the guy's like, do you really think that someone just sits there? Loving these clay figures, filming it for like a day or something like that. And, like, who would actually do that? You see, Mabel, those monsters are just tiny clay figures moved around one frame at a time by an antisocial shut-in. Those people are called animators. I'm just going to casually shrink under the table here. <laughs> when um, I was 13, I used to make stop motion movies. My own ear is terrifying. Really? Um, yeah. I've got to see those. Uh, they've all been lost, sadly. They're all on like DV tapes. Oh. You can all watch my stop motion animations. Just tap in the story of bellythepenguin.com. Shameless self promote. <laughs> Moving on. Do we want, for the final little bit, just to mention favourite character to end the show? Rob, mm. you go first. <laughs> Let me think. The first one that springs to mind is not the most interesting character, other than Tony J, of course, because. He's just glorious in everything he's in. But yeah, for me, I forget his name. The, the mayor of Junk Town. The name's Killian. Killian Darkwater. Like, he seems like a really nice guy. He's just going about his business, just running the town. And he gives you a shotgun. So yeah, he's a cool guy. I, mm. I enjoy town quests with him. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, when you take on Gizmo, the mob boss. I love that. Yeah, it is great. That's a good old area. I love that. Junk Town. It ain't what it used to be. I do want to talk about the lieutenant quickly, uh, Tony J's character. Just because I want to mention how... So with the super mutants, you get this implication with Harry that they're all just kind of these big, lumbering, hulking, orc kind of characters where they're not very bright. And then you meet the lieutenant, or the Lou, as he's called by Harry. Gotta take you to Lou now. And he's Tony J's voice. He's got this very posh, upper-class voice. And it's a wonderful <laughs> subversion of this idea that, oh, they're all just hulking orcs. He even has, like, a monocle. He has, like, a goggle thing. And he's very well-spoken as he tells you how they're going to take over the wasteland and turn everyone into mutants. It's great. Oh, this is excellent. You know, I actually doubted my officers when they said they'd captured a prime normal. 
It is so nice to see you. Yeah, so in the Lieutenant for me, that and Harold. I love all the mutants in this game, to be fair. Do you know, it's really frustrating because when I try to think of a favorite character, one from Fallout 2 comes up, which is really frustrating. Oh no! I know, I do think Fallout 2 has better characters, I, I think, personally, but... That's funny because there aren't that many of them. But they're very memorable. Especially like yeah. Arch Dornan. Uh, I think you do just love Arch Dornan. I, I love Arch Dornan. Welcome to Camp Navarro. So you're the replacement. You are out of uniform, soldier. Where is your power armor? But we will focus on Fallout One. So let's go back to that. I think. Even though you've picked him already, Hugh, and I do love Harold. Mutant son of a dog if they weren't springing up like rabbits with a mission. I also like the Master. I think the Master is genuinely a really terrifying villain. Genuinely, mm. I think, across science fiction and fantasy media, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like him. And he's unique, mm. his origins are unique, Like his appearance is unique, he's complex, he's multifaceted. He genuinely thinks he's doing the right thing, but it's so twisted and dark and confused mm. and just so delusional. The unity will bring about the master race. Master. Master! One able to survive or even thrive in the wasteland. And at the same time, he's just so intelligent at the same time. He makes the perfect villain. It's just terrifying to look at. And the way that the voice acting's done for him and it's recorded, it screams as evil. It's perfect, perfect, terrifying villain. So, But I, I do love mm. Harold as well. Kind of your friend, very kind. I'm going to end, I think, on a little note that both Spinelli from Recess and Mom from Futurama are both in this game as well. Is Spinelli Tandy? <laughs> no, she's oh. the leader of the followers of the apocalypse. She's Nicole. Oh. Um, yeah. I want to say that Tandy is Penny from Inspector Gadget. Cree Summer voiced Penny in Inspector Gadget. And it's uh, Pamela Adlon. Um, Cree Summer, I think she was in uh, Rugrats. She was Susie in Rugrats. And she's been in a few... Th oh, yeah. There were amazing voice actors from this period. Clancy mm. Brown is in this as well. As oh, we God. all know, Lex Luthor. Well, yeah, and... He's the best Lex Luthor. He's Lex Luthor in Superman. Yeah, mm. Lex Luthor and Mr. Krabs from Spongebob. And Cortex from Crash Bandicoot. Whoa! My mind's been blown up here. God damn, there's so many... Yeah. Ah... Uh, I had no idea. It's all connected. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, to finish off, James, can you tell our listeners what we're discussing next time? Absolutely. So the next Bluecast that we are going to be focused on for December is none other than the Fellowship of the Ring, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We're going to focus on both the book and the film, and potentially, I mean, I want to say also maybe the Ralph Bashki uh, movie as well. But it is the legendary fantasy story that started the genre, I think. Or at least solidified the genre. I mean, there was like crumbs of fantasy lying around the place and mythologies and myths. But Lord of the Rings really solidified the genre. We would not have had Game of Thrones. We would not have had The Wheel of Time. We would not have had... Uh, actually, I'm not going to mention the other thing because we don't like it on this podcast. Um, and, also, <laughs> <laughs> and we would not have probably had... Most of speculative fiction as we know it today without Lord of the Rings. So, I'm very excited mm. to talk about this. And same for me, because uh, not only is Fellowship of the Ring my favourite times we'll go into in the podcast, but we have timed it very well because December marks the 20th anniversary of the Fellowship of the being released in cinemas. For sure. The film franchise is something we've all grown up with, so we've all got our own story to tell uh, about how we've encountered it. 
and experienced it and how it's inspired us as well. So it's very exciting to talk mm. about. There's also mm. a lovely radio version from the 80s, which I want to talk about. I'm listening to and the, the Russian version. Yes. The Soviet version that got uncovered recently. Yes. And I'm listening to the Andy Serkis audiobook at the moment, which is lovely. Thank you for listening to Bloobcast. We've been Rob, James and Ewan. You can find all of our episodes on Bloobcast.com. We're also available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel where we produce shorter episodes called Blooblets, where we discuss the latest news in popular culture. You can find us on social media with at Pod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Please like, follow and subscribe so you can get the latest updates on new episodes. We also have an email address, which is bloopcast at outlook.com. So if you have any feedback or want to suggest things for us to review in our future episodes, please feel free to drop us an email and you'll get a shout out on the next episode. Please also rate and review us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. More engagement helps us a lot. And finally, please share the podcast amongst your friends and family. Help spread the word so that the Bloobcast Empire can become strong and mighty. Yeah. Um, so yeah, until next time, the Bloobcast bids you farewell. Thank you very much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Wishing that I were